Let me ask you a question. Do you have a deep knowing that you're only just scratching the surface of where you're capable of taking your business growth? Are you successful but have some invisible hurdles that are slowing you down? Business growth comes from creating and implementing strategies and frameworks, but strategies and frameworks on their own will not take you to the level I know you desire and are capable of. Living in alignment with your unique human design will help you to attract the abundance you are ready for. And I've just created a free guide to help you understand your unique human design blueprint. It's called the Human Design Advantage, and you can get your copy over at samanthariley.global forward slash advantage. What I want to do is start a revolution in the world where we get to know ourselves again, where we get to have a voice, where the voiceless get to speak and the voices that do speak find their voice, not somebody else's. Leaders Business Lab is for you, the business owner, entrepreneur, the expert in your field who wants to be seen and heard as the influential thought leader in your industry. My name is Samantha Riley and I've been building and growing businesses for over 26 years and I've learned there are three key areas to your success, your mindset, your talents and the people you surround yourself with. Each week, I interview successful entrepreneurs and deep dive to discover the exact strategies that they have used to build their business so that you can experiment and implement these strategies in your business too. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Danny. It's so awesome to have you here joining me today. I'm very excited. I am so happy because look at the magnificence of technology. There you are in Australia, and here I am in San Diego, and I feel like I can just reach out and virtually hug you right here. Oh, well, we can. We we can. can. We are. We are. We've had many conversations and many virtual hugs, and I'm really looking forward to diving into a conversation today that I know is going to go down many rabbit holes. And I know this for a fact because I've been down many rabbit holes with you already and we haven't even, we haven't even recorded yet. No. <laughs> Why don't we start off? I'd love you to share with listeners what is it that you are currently doing and the kinds of people that you work with and serve? The short answer to that, because what, what I'm doing is a huge mission, but the short answer to what I do in, with people in the life that I live is I help people see their life differently. What happens is we get so stuck in our one, in our perspective. The world lives in a 360 degrees and every, all 360 degrees have a perspective. We see one degree, we see our one degree. So my job, my goal is to introduce people to the other 359, to ask them to say, I understand what you believe. Let's take for a minute everything that you believe and just push it to the side for a minute. Because when you do that, guaranteed, you will see something that you never saw before because what you see is blocking everything else it is. In the States here, we have a very popular drawing. It's been used for hundreds of years. It's a black and white drawing where you look at it one way and you see an old hag and you look at it another way and you see a socialite. Both of them are in the same exact picture that you look at. But somehow, when you look at it, you see one or the other. It's been, very, it's been popularized lately with the blue gold dress yes. and the white. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the, blue, the, the pink and green and the blue and something else. And yeah. gold, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, but you know the thing. So yeah, the, yeah. The, the same exact dress 
looked from a, from a certain set of eyes, looks at two different colors, and it's impossible. How could that be? And the very fact that we see one makes us not able to see the other until something shifts. I'm that shift. I'm that person that says, why would you only choose to see the world that you're looking at when there's hundreds of other ways to see the world? And in those other ways of seeing the world, maybe you'll find something that innovates your whole, your business. Maybe you'll find something that innovates your, your personal career. Maybe you'll find another way of doing what you've always done. In Zen, they call it Zen mind, beginner's mind. That you, always, you look at the same thing you've always looked at, but you see it differently. That's what I do. And it's fascinating to me to watch people at that moment where they go, oh my God, it shifted. I see it. And I go, okay, do it again. Like, don't just stop there. The tendency is, okay, I saw yeah. it different. But, but in a business, can you imagine when a business can have that perspective to the way it does business? That's oh. called innovation. I was just about to say, how much could a business innovate by, by asking those questions and being open to seeing the, all of the different perspectives? Yes. And there's lots of ways of doing that because so much of the world we live in operates from a vertical reality where people tell us what to do. Mm -hmm. We have leaders who lead, managers who manage, right? CEOs who, who run companies, right? But how about the janitor and how about the manufacturing team? Mm -hmm. the, they see the same things that the people that we see differently, but they're very rarely called in to give their opinion of how the company should grow and expand. And yet sometimes they're closest to, to the problem. 100%. And so when we decentralize our own mind process and we allow every voice to be listened to, then we create a mosaic of a company where every piece has value. And that's really what I'm trying to do in the bigger mission. In the world that we live in, so few people get to say what they believe. We're 8 billion people in this planet. What would happen if we found a way to let 8 billion people say what's on their mind? But right now we're going through in America, we're going through the impeachment process of President Trump. I don't want to make a statement on one side or another because I really don't care. Mm -hmm. What I want to make a statement on is how both sides are so committed to their side that they don't listen to the other side. And so we're not getting at truth, we're getting at dogma. Mm -hmm. We do that in business, we do that in politics, we do that in healthcare, we do that in government, we do that in dating, we do that in spirituality, we do it all across the board because our makeup is to, is to think, is to only see one degree. This is the way the world looks. But then what happens when you finally see the old hide when you only saw the social mm -hmm. What happened when you see the dress as blue and gold when you only saw it as, as green and whatever else the other color was? What do you do with that data when, you, when that happens? How does that change the relevancy of your conversation? And we all want to be relevant. And so when we ask people around us, what do you see? And we're open to just listening, not talk so much, but just listen. Our whole reality changes. Who was it that says, when you change the way you see the world, the world you see changes? Somebody much smarter than me. <laughs> I don't know who it was, but I love, I love, love, love that quote. Yeah. And we've all heard it, right? So mm. if we want to change the world we're living in, we have to change the way we see the world we're living in. How are we going to change it if we don't let anybody with a diverse opinion come into our lives? I don't want to monologue, so I want to just shut up. <laughs> but I was just, you could tell by the look on my face, I was just like, oh, <laughs> I love this. This is just so true. And I think that, or again, this is my belief, that with the rise of social media, it's almost like we've lost, and I say we as a collective, 
we have lost the ability to be able to see things a little bit more through other people's eyes. And the way that this is showing up is people on social media just saying, no, you're wrong. Or actually, I don't agree with that. I'm just going to unfriend you or I'm going to block you. And I actually had this conversation with Twist a few episodes ago. And we were saying that when these different perspectives come up, that if we just say, tell me more about that, that the world will change so much because all of a sudden we're there to learning, we're there to hearing another opinion. And this isn't about us then shaming ourselves because we thought we were wrong. It's not about that at all. And I'm sure that you could go into that even because that's also a byproduct of, of what's, what happens with some people. But it's about really seeing different perspectives and being able to form and, you know, even more ideas off the back of that. Yes. I'm 64. So I have this, some experience of watching the world get to where it's gotten to today. And I don't see everything, but for God knows. I mean, even though I have this long white beard and people think I look like Santa Claus or God, I'm not. And I'm not <laughs> right? Rats! <laughs> right? <laughs> but here's what's happened. In the world that I grew up in, it was so hard to find a way to get your voice heard. Mm-hmm. And only a few people spoke. So we decided, okay, hold on. We're going to find like-minded communities, people who think like us. And I remember when I first found the other group of people that were crazy like me, I just, like, I was in ecstasy. I couldn't believe Mm -hmm. that there were other crazy people like me that thought like I did, that felt like I did. And I I felt like I died and went to heaven. And it's such an intoxicating feeling Uh to be in a like-minded community where people are just like we are. And there's something so reinforcing in that. But to everything, there's a season. Mm And an end of a season. Mm -hmm. Because what's happened now is the beauty and the eroticism and the seduction of that like-minded community has gotten us to a place where we've gotten bigger and stronger and the gaps between other like-minded communities and ours have gotten wider and deeper. And so there's nobody virtually, there are so few people are walking in the open fields. Now what's happening is my silo of like-mindedness and your silo of like-mindedness are screaming across the terrains at each other, trying to prove to each other that the way we see the world is right. Why? Right? So what has to happen now is the dissolution of all that beauty for a far greater beauty. When like-minded people and unlike-minded people can come together, no silos, nothing separating us, just open fields, and just sit and listen to each other, talk with each other. What do you feel? What do you think? Why do you think the way you think? How is it possible? Like, this is the way I think. Tell me what you see in it that you don't get so that I can understand how you believe what you believe. I spent five years in a rabbinical school studying to be a rabbi. And some of our day was spent every single day going over six words of the Talmud. And we would sit on those six words for six months because one school of rabbis would read those six words and have an interpretation. Mm -hmm. And another school of rabbis would read those same words, knowing what this school of rabbis believe and still choosing to believe this. So what we would do is we would say, okay, the schools were called Rashi and Tosfos, okay? Yeah. Rashi would know what Tosfos was thinking and he would still say, this is what I believe. Uh Tosfos knew that Rashi believed that and said, this is what we believe. Rashi would then know that Tosfos understood what he believed and still knowing what he believed, chose to believe what he believed, what they believed. Tosfos would know 
that Rashi knew what Tosfos believed, knew what <laughs> Rashi believed, and still chose to be what Tosfos. So they literally played off the fact that they both knew, they were both right. They both knew what each other believed, but they found something underneath all of it that made them come to a place where they still held true to what they believe. But not because they were fighting each other, just because they genuinely believe. Understanding what the other person believed, they still believe this. And so I'm not asking people to agree with each other. I'm asking people to listen to each other and mm. understand each other. And, and there's, that's, there's a big difference there, right? Because we don't, we, I think that it's dangerous ground when we're agreeing with each other. It is about more understanding different perspectives. Yeah. I've had the beautiful opportunity to mix with some of the wealthiest people in the world as my friends and some of the poorest people in the world. I've sat at dinner tables that have been so exotic and so elaborate, I didn't know which fork came first. Mm -hmm. And I've sat on street corners on pieces of cardboard with some of the poorest people I ever Not one of them ever asked me to agree with what they said. All they wanted was to be loved and accepted, to be listened to and heard, to be understood and validated. When I do that, when I'm able to do that, and I don't need a college degree to do that, I don't need to be a, 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 an ordained minister, I don't need to believe, belong to some religious cult, I don't need to be in any sort of business, that's a practice that I can just practice. When I take the time to sit and listen to you, and you feel heard and acknowledged, understood and validated, loved and accepted, who cares if I agree with you or not? Some of my closest friends, I would never agree with a thing they said, but I love them. Mm. And, they, and they love me. Yeah. And we're friends and we're great friends. We, that doesn't stop us from doing a whole everything else. So one of the practices that I try and get a corporation or a family or, or, or a community of people or, or an organization to do is to find those places where you connect. When you look at a mosaic, it's very rarely that piece by piece that the whole side of this piece connects with the whole side of that piece. Sometimes it's just the very tip of the corner. Mm. But that's enough to keep the connection of the mosaic whole. That means 95, 98% of what you think and what I think, we don't even talk about it. We don't even care about it. We don't believe in. But this 2% that we do continues the connection of all the pieces and opens up the possibility of connecting to all the pieces we know. Why isn't that the world we live in? I just don't get it. So beautiful, so magical. And it's okay. We can create that. We are going to create it. That's the bigger mission behind all this. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to digress a little bit. I know that you walked away from a $1 billion business in the search for peace and happiness. Can you take us back to that time, explain so, what it is what you, that you were doing? And actually, let's just leave it there. For, let's see what comes out. <laughs> okay. Clearly, the biggest defining moment of my life is what I write about in the mosaic. The mosaic's a fabulized version of my story. Mm -hmm. And in the mosaic, the main character, Mo, loses his parents two years apart on the same day. And so he asks the adults where his parents are because he's, he's just dumbfounded. He wants, he wants to be with his parents again. He's just a boy. And the, parent, and, the, and the adults tell him they're in a place called heaven. So Mo finds no value, no wonderment in this world anymore. All he wants to do is find that place called heaven. So he sets out in search of the place called heaven, and the people he meets along the way is the story of the mosaic. Mm. My parents passed away, and when my parents passed away, I had an opportunity to go live with my mother's sister and her husband. Her husband is a household name around the world. I don't want to say it because I mm -hmm. want to protect their identity, but they're a billion-dollar company. It was a time in the world when 
men didn't give over their businesses to their daughters and mm -hmm. he had no sons that time's changed now thank god right mm -hmm. but this was 50 50 some years ago yeah um it was just a different time so he watched me for the first three months that i was there and he said danny i see something in you and what i want to do is i want to start you from the bottom pushing a broom and i want and i want to mentor you and bring you to my seat within 10 years mm -hmm. you will be sitting running this billion dollar company within 10 years his wife didn't even know he said that to me. Wow. And to, and to this day, when I mention the name of the company, she feels like, you know, you are just using us to make yourself better. I would be an idiot if I was doing that because only an idiot walks away from the opportunity to take over a billion dollar company, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but what happened for me in, is I realized that wasn't the heaven I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I said after, I said to my uncle, I need a year to watch you. And in watching him for a year, I asked him three questions, which then determined that that was not what I was going to do. And I went out on my own because mm -hmm. people who have a lot of money, and I don't mean this disrespectfully for them because they did everything they could for me, but people who have a lot of money are threatened if you don't want to do what they do because mm -hmm. they're used to being able to manipulate people by the promise of that money in the future. One of the beautiful gifts I realized, and this is hard to say, it's been hard to say, but I just realized it. I was devastated when I lost my parents. My dad was my hero. I modeled myself. To this day, I model myself. I, my body shape is his. My the way I think is his. But, but I am not my dad. And what my dad and mom's passing gave me, because I was just a kid, is the ability to walk into the world and find who I am, not find who my mom and dad wanted me to be. If, mom, if my mom and dad had lived on, I would not be this person. To their credit, I might be a whole lot better than this person. <laughs> but you just not, don't know. <laughs> but I wouldn't be this person. Yeah. Because I had the freedom to live my life not having to please anybody. When my uncle and aunt wanted to give me what they wanted to give me, which was, oh my God, 99.999999 say nine until you can't breathe anymore. People would have said, where's the broom and let's get started. Yeah. I was just my bad luck, good luck, our crazy luck that I was the point, oh, 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 say, oh, until you the last breath you can say one. I was that person who said, no, I don't want to do this. And in doing that, it gave me the freedom to discover who is this identity? Who's this person? And one of the things that I look at, and this is really important for, because I don't want to get too woo-woo with, with people. In businesses today, I very rarely find somebody who is strong in themselves, secure in themselves, knows what they think, knows what they believe, is willing to stand up against the tides of what everybody else does because they just don't feel it. And so a lot of the work that I do now is with people who have everything that the world could ever imagine giving them, except the one thing they want, which was fulfillment, which they thought all that would give them, but mm -hmm. it hasn't. I'm not saying it's 100%. Some people, are, some people have it. Mm -hmm. Those aren't my people. If you have the money and you have fulfillment, I want to learn from you. Mm. Because there's so few of you out there. But what I find is either people have fulfillment with no money or money with no fulfillment. And I'm using it black and white. It's not no fulfillment. But I just sat with a woman yesterday at breakfast. And she said, I feel like such a fraud. Everybody looks at my life and wants to be my, me. They want my life. I want out of my life as soon as I possibly can. Because it's not me. I don't even know what I believe anymore. I want to find those people. Because there's no happiness in that. You know the joke, money won't bring you happiness, but it's sure better, it's sure better than mm -hmm. the next for 30 things, right? right? Yeah. But it's not really. I, I, if I can tell one more story, do you mind me saying mm -hmm. one more story? Go for it. 
one of my friends that I grew up with in, in that time that I was with my aunt and uncle is a billionaire now. And I haven't seen him for a lot of years. And I was staying in a nice hotel in New York on some business. And I was coming home at 11 o'clock to go back to my room and just sit and meditate and be by myself. And he was coming. He, I didn't even know. He was, he was walking into the elevator I was coming out. And I looked at him and it's, it had been a long time. And I, I said his name and he said, oh my God, Danny, is that you? And I said, yeah. I said, what are you doing here? He said, what are you doing here? He said, I have an apartment in this hotel. You know, we stay here all the time when we're in New York. I said, I didn't know that. I said, he said, well, what are you doing now? I said, well, I was going to go to my room, but what are you doing? He said, well, I was going to go out to the club, but I'm, I'm canceling. The bar here is closed. I have a scot- bottle of scotch up in my room. I've got two cigars. Would you drink scotch and smoke cigars with me in the lobby here? I said, of course. What else am I going to do? <laughs> And we sat from 12 o'clock at night to 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and just caught up. And here was the thing that he said that just tore my heart apart. He said, all this time you've been trying to find yourself. And all this time, you know, every time we would get together, I would ride you. I would say, why are you wasting your time doing that? You're so smart. You have so much ability. You can create so much in the world. You can, you can make so much money. Money's easy. Why are you just finding yourself all the time? He said, when I saw your eyes... As I walked into the elevator, I'm telling you right now, I would give every cent that I had to just have that look in my eyes. I'm on my sixth wife. My kids hate me. I have all the money in, in the world, but it can't buy me health. My health is starting to, to fall apart. And I don't have that fulfillment. Will you sit with me and talk to me about your fulfillment? At that point, what's it all for? What is all the accolades about? If there's anybody listening to this show and they can't do it with Samantha, or they, they can do it with Samantha. She can do the same work. But if there's something about what I'm saying that feels drawn, that you feel drawn to, please reach out. We'll figure out a way to make it happen. What I want to do is start a revolution in the world where we get to know ourselves again, where we get to have a voice, where the voiceless get to speak and the voices that do speak find their voice, not somebody else's. And if that makes sense to you, please whether it's me or somebody like me or some of their thousands of me, you don't have to come to me. Find somebody that you trust, but you better trust them because they're going to put you beyond anything you ever knew because you are experts at running away from your truth. Your brilliant mind is causing you to run circles around everything that you believe so that you don't have to go into that place where you have to go into. When you go into that place, the ecstasy that you feel at the point of connection of knowing yourself will make you wonder why in the world did I sit outside in the hot, sweaty weather when there was this beautiful reservoir of cool water right here that I could have just jumped in and enjoyed. It makes no sense. Just like it makes no sense that we would see all our differences and not our similarities. Just like it makes no sense that we would fight each other rather than support and love each other. We're living in crazy times where everything has become disjointed. And it's time to connect back to those connections that make us what we are. That is what the mosaic has really taught me. I absolutely 100% agree with part of that. Uh, You have given me permission to, to go down a rabbit hole. And you've opened it and I'm going to walk come, into come, it. Come, come, come. Come on, let's go. <laughs> I love it. That's what I want. <laughs> I truly believed that we're all looking for fulfillment. That is hu- That is part of being a human, that, that we're on the planet, that we're looking for fulfillment. I believe that there are people with no money that haven't found fulfillment and think, what was all this for? I was working my butt off. And I think that there was well, there's wealthy people that don't have fulfillment and... They go, what was all this for? I've worked my butt off. 
And on the other spectrum, I think that there is people that are not wealthy that have found fulfillment. And I also believe that there is wealthy people that are fulfilled. Yes. And I don't believe that money is attached to the fulfillment. It is you as a person and what your journey is and that I think that it's, I personally think it's dangerous to attach the money to the fulfillment because I don't think that they're the same. Yes. I, you're not fighting me at all. You're actually walking in step with me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so happy that you bring that to the surface. I told you in the green room that I'm doing some work with a woman that's in Australia, uh-huh. right? And uh-huh. her practice is how to use the practice of the relationship we have to money to making a greater relationship to the relationship we have with ourselves. And I said to you point blank, even here on the show, for those people who have money and have fulfillment, I want to learn from you. I want to sit with you. I want to, I want to hear how you've, how you've walked that line that you could have it all because I, but that's the world that I believe in. I believe all of us believe in the world where we can have everything we want and have everything we want, mm. right? It's just a world of, that is real fulfillment, right? Mm. That's the fulfillment, not just the amount of things we have, but the amount of peace that we have as well. Mm. I believe they're completely in harmony with each other. But here's what I actually believe has happened. Somewhere along the line, the lie has become so easy to believe, we call it the truth. And the truth has become so hard to believe, we call it a lie. And the truth is, we can have it all. The lie is, either we devote our life and our time to making money, or we devote our life and time to being fulfilled, to taking care of our family. 100%. But it's a lie, Mm. okay? It's It's not true. Mm-hmm. But it's become so hypnotically in, in, implanted into our being mm-hmm. that we as kids make a decision. The standard stereotype is men who make a lot of money and have no relationship with their family. Women uh-huh. who love a lot and have no relationship with money, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, and it doesn't have to be that way. And this is the moment. What is mosaic to me? Mosaic is when all of those pieces come together to create one totality, one beautiful work of art. And that beautiful work of art says, I want the fulfillment that money can because money can make life easy for us. Money can make things, can get us the things that we need. We can help other people who need money with money. We can give money away. We can buy things that we want. We can buy things for other people that we want. We can help countries and people in need, right? But I also want the fulfillment and the models that we've watched in a lot of people, if you take, we're doing, a, we're doing some work now, very intro, introductory level of working with some billionaires who are looking for philanthropic causes mm-hmm. that they can charitably donate to because all that they thought their money was going to bring them has not happened. I remember watching Melinda Gates on Oprah on Super Soul Sunday, mm-hmm. talking about all the magnificent, I mean, what Bill and Melinda Gates have given away to people mm-hmm. is unbelievable, right? They're, they're like amazing. At the, they're at the forefront of philanthropic activity. Mm-hmm. Oprah, on the last question of the show, before the show went dead, went black. Melinda, with all the millions and millions and millions of dollars that you've given to help the world, do you personally believe you've moved the needle at all? I was shocked by Melinda Gates' statement. She said, Oprah, if I'm honest with you, not one millimeter. So there has to be a new model. And that's the new model that I'm trying to create. We can't do this on our own. We have to come together and work together. And if you go to, if you go to mosaiconline.com, 
I want you to take a look at something that's a, a tab on there that's called the swarm. Our goal is to, is to create a minority of 1 billion people and to ask the people that have no voice and the people that do have voice to come together to listen to each other. What we're going to ask them is when they look out into the world today, what are the problems they want to see solved? Is it homelessness? Is it global warming? Is it hunger? Is it sex trafficking? Is it, uh, you know, what, what is it? Mm-hmm. Slavery? What, what is it? We'll ask them to decide what it is they want to figure out. And we'll do this by a technology using virtual, using AI and virtual rooms, which will bring people in and we'll have them, we'll give them the choice to decide and they'll be able to decide together in a swarm-like mentality what they want to solve. Then we'll gather information from them as to how they want to solve it. And we'll again swarm, we'll do a collective mind on how they want to solve those problems. The membership in the Mosaic Swarm is $1 a month. We made it $1 a month because we wanted everybody to afford it. And yes, there will be some people in in distant countries, in third world countries, that a dollar a month is like a billion dollars. We will not exclude them because they can't afford it. What we'll do is we'll ask those people who can't afford it if they wouldn't want a scholarship somebody for a dollar a month and pay $2 a month. Our goal is to get 1 billion unique, different voices to come together to say, this is what we want to solve. This is how we want to solve it. And if we get a billion people, we'll have a billion dollars a month that we'll be able to fund the solutions that we come up with through the swarm. We may get it not 100% right for the first three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 months. Highly likely. That's what entrepreneurship's uh, uh, all about, right? Right, right. <laughs> but, but the whole idea of the swarm mentality is together we're smarter. Hmm. We, we're able to think... We're able to think about, find solutions to problems that we couldn't find individually. But when we come together, we can do it. Now, I'm sorry for talking so much, but like we're here, okay? They did an experiment. They used this technology for predictive analysis. And what they did is they wanted to find things that they could prove instantaneously if their, if their solutions were better than other people's solutions. Mm-hmm. So someone gave them a challenge, CBS over here in America, I think it was CBS, asked them to predict the winners of the Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm. And not just the winners, first, second, third, fourth. It's a trifecta. Mm-hmm. The odds against that were 586 to one. So they brought 40 people into a room. The 40 people weren't professional gamblers. They weren't horse owners. They weren't handicappers. They were people that said, we occasionally like to watch horse racing. Mm-hmm. They put inside this virtual room was an octagon. And at the corner of each of the octagons was the name of the horse running the Kentucky Derby. In the middle of the room was a puck. They asked all 40 to, before they come into the room and answer, to write on a scorecard next to themselves who was going to come in first, second, third, and fourth. Mm-hmm. And then they said, okay, now if you're done with that, let's bring you into the room. We're going to ask you all together to take your mouse and try and move the mouse towards, your mouse is connected to the puck, move the puck to the horse that you think is going to win. Who's going to come in first? And you could see the mm-hmm. 40 of them were moving. The puck was going one way, the other way, blah, blah, blah. They, they settled. Who's going to come in second? Who's going to come in third? Who's going to come in fourth? A $20 bet on the choices the swarm of 40 people chose produced an $11,000 ticket. Oh, reward. wow. <laughs> now, here's the interesting thing, because I thought, oh, great, sure, of course. Well, certain people influenced it and made the people do it. Yep. On their individual scorecards, not one of them picked the horse to come in first, first, second, second, third. One horse, one person picked the horse to come in third to come in third, and nobody picked the horse to come in fourth. So individually, none of the 40 people came up with the right answers, but collectively they came up with exactly the right answers. Isn't that interesting? 
That's what the power of a collected mind does. When you see birds fly, they fly in unison with each other. They, mm. they feel exactly the way to go. Fish, when they move in a swarm, do the same thing. Humans think vertical. We tell each other what to do. I want to change the modality to a mosaic, to a mosaic swarm mind where we bring diverse opinions, rich, poor, color, white, doesn't matter what religion, what border, what, what, how much money they make. We bring them together and they, they decide what it is they want to solve. And then we'll invest in it. And even if we lose $10 billion trying to get to the right answer in the right way, all you'll have lost is $10 and all I'll have lost is $10. And I'm willing to lose $10. And we won't have a board of directors over us telling us, you can't do that. This, we've, we've made the wrong decision too many times. We're losing billions of dollars because it's our money we're losing. And yeah. it's our money we're playing with. And we're making the decisions. In America, our constitution starts with three words, we the people. But I have never seen a we the people world since I've been alive. It's been we the rich, we the poor, we the black, we the white, we the Republicans, we the Democrats. It's time for us to come together, we the people, out of our silos of like-mindedness, into mm -hmm. open fields of, of like and unlike mind, and come together in unison to figure out how to solve problems that shouldn't or exist. We're about to put men on Mars. And there are people that are still hungry here. Are you frigging kidding me? We're throwing away more food than we can imagine. Yeah. We have 3D printers now that can make single dwelling houses for $4,000. And we have people that are homeless. Are you freaking kidding me? They can make them in like, in, in like a week, in less than a week. These 3D printers just print up houses for $4,000 and they can do tons of them. How is anybody homeless? It's just stupid what's going on. We have to come together or else the world that we're looking at will just continue to get worse and worse. Mm. The divisions will get wider and wider. And we can't afford that anymore. It's, not, it, it's no fun anymore. That's the big mission. Mm, and I think I went way over my time. <laughs> That's okay. Now, <laughs> now, you are the author of The Mosaic. And I believe that the book that has been published and is out in the world is not the first version of the book you wrote. Right. I'd love you to share with us that story because I think that there's a huge lesson in this for all of us as thought leaders. Yes. So as I told you, I'm 64 years old and then I was 60 years old when I was sitting down to write this book. And the book, the first book that I wrote was a book that was called V2, which is what do you do when you get to the second version of your life? So many times we have lived our life We've made it to the top. We've done what we wanted to do. And now we're no longer there anymore. And what do we do? Mm. Do we just retire and play golf? Do we just get ready to die? Do we just stay home and get bored? What do we, what do, we do? So I wanted mm -hmm. to call it V2. What's the second version of your life look like? What's it look like when you shoot a rocket into, the, into, the, into the, uh, space and the first capsule drops off and ignites the second capsule? What's that, what's that second capsule? What's Danny 2 look like? So I wrote the nine practices of what that looks like. And, and I sent it to a friend of mine who is a great editor and a grand, and, and she became my muse. And she said, Danny, this book is brilliant. I love the concepts in it. You're smart. They're, they're, they're insightful, but this is not your book. I said, what the heck are you talking about? I said, do you think I plagiarized it? She said, no, no, no. She said, this is a self-help book you wrote. You were at Hay House and you're, you, you know the way of self-help. You help them grow from $3 million to $100 million, but you're not a self-help author. That's not what you do. You would never define yourself like that. You don't want to be that person. You're a storyteller. Why don't you tell a story? And so I jokingly, sort of snidely, offhandedly, smugly said, oh, what do you want me to do? Write a fable? 
and, and she said exactly what I want you. I said, no, you got to be kidding. And I fought her for about a minute and a half. And I mean, I really fought her. I said, what are you crazy? This is my legacy. Who's gonna, I'm not going to write some little ch children's book like Aesop's fables and, you know, oh, cutesy, cutesy little story. She said, that's not what I'm asking you to do. Sit with it. And just like that moment when the old hag became this, the young socialite, something shifted in me. I suddenly saw it differently. And what I saw is in the fable, when you tell a story, people, the story that comes out of my lips is not the story that you hear. Some of the words I'm saying you hear, mm -hmm. but you immediately make it into a story that's relevant to you. Mm. And that's what we do. So I sat and I started to write the fable and the fable is basically a fabulized version of my life. So it was easy to write. I'd written up a, a storybook for one, for the most anticipated hotel opening of 200, 2013. Mm -hmm. It was the Andaz Maui uh, L -E -L -L -D, Green Star Green Hotel, six-star hotel in Maui. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, what's your story? They said, we have no story. And I created a story out of their core values, and it took me two or three months to do. So mm -hmm. I said, this is a piece of cake. I can write this easily. Well, I'm writing it, and every time I'm writing it, somehow it feels brilliant. I love it, and I go to sleep, and I wake up the next morning, it's gone. It's not on my computer. The file or the file's corrupted or it doesn't read like I thought it read or it's missing something. This happened over a course of three years, two and a half, three years. Finally, I looked and I was so frustrated. You can ask my wife. I would wake up at 2.30 in the morning. I would sit there and I would go, what the hell is going on? I'd meditate. I'd clear myself. I'd get to the place and I was right. Finally, I did something that is really took me by surprise. I said to the characters in the book, what are you trying to say to me? As if I was having a conversation with them, like I'm having a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. What is it you, why do you keep taking away what I keep writing? And people might think I'm crazy, but I heard them say back to me one at a time, we don't want to say what you're telling us to say. We want you to listen to what we're saying to you and just write that. I went, holy tamale. I mean, if, I believe everything in the world talks to us and they just talked to me. And so I started to write what they said. And it wasn't like channeled writing and there, you know, mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. was just, I, I said to them, okay, what do you want to do in this, in this situation? And they would tell me and I would write it. To this day, when I read my book, The Mosaic, I get insights that I never would have found before. So how is that relatable to somebody else? First of all, I think it's a fabulous concept. I think it's a fabulous book. I think the words speak in the book and the story is great. The space between the words speaks as well, mm. which I think is amazing. But how does that apply to an entrepreneur? I can't tell you how many times in working with people, they'll tell me about problems, problems they're having in their businesses or things that just don't seem to be working. And I'll ask them, have you asked your business what it wants from you? Have you literally sat down with the problem the business is presenting and the business that you're trying to create and literally talk to it as if it was alive and human? Because it isn't. And if you were to just ask it, what is it that you're trying to say to me? What would it tell you? And people have had unbelievable insights, unbelievable changes of direction, unbelievable realizations that have shaped and innovated their businesses dramatically just from that simple question. But here's our problem. We grow up in a society where we talk, but we very rarely listen. The amount of people that listen, not without, not with thinking about what their next question is, not with thinking about how they're going to respond, not with thinking how they're going to confront it or argue it, but they just open-heartedly listen is a rare breed of people. And I myself had to ask the very process that I'm telling people to do because look how much I'm talking, right? <laughs> so I had to say to them, how are you putting these words in my mouth and me speaking this much and having me give a message of listening? And they said, Danny, the beauty of what we're doing through you is we're using your words 
to occupy the mind of the people that are listening because you speak well. So you'll get their mind thinking. You'll get their mind in, in, in engaged. And what that allows us to do is then send an energy from our hearts to their hearts, from our spirit to their spirit, uninterrupted by a mind that wants that not to happen, mm -hmm. uninterrupted by, by a uh, suspicious mind that mm -hmm. says, what are you doing to me? And it's in that transformation, it's in that process of connecting heart to heart, soul to soul, spirit to spirit, that we actually make things happen in this world. So I love the Occupy Wall Street movement that's happening in America today. Because there are people standing on the sides and people honk their horns and go by and we get engaged, right? And they yell at them and they talk to them, they agree with them. All that's what happens through the words that I say. But the real listening is on another vibration. It's on a transmission of a vibration that maybe it comes through the resonance of my voice. Maybe it comes through the quality of what we share together. Maybe it comes from something that has nothing to do with me. Who cares? There's an opening up that happens. I know it when I speak with people, it's that because I hear their souls happy. Now, I know that that listening has, has a lot of power, yet on the other side, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that say, well, that's great. I'm working home alone. I don't have anyone to bounce my ideas off. I don't have anyone to, to have these discussions of innovation to see the different perspectives. So you have actually taken this issue and done something with it because you know it's as any light needs dark and and you know man needs woman to be able to listen we need people that are speaking so tell us about what you've created for entrepreneurs to really start to open up a different conversation uh, i love it and thank you for bringing that up on my website the mosaic online.com there is a tab that says the mosaic. And if you, if you just hover over the mosaic tab, you'll see a menu list there. And that menu list will, will have something called card reading. And what you can do is it, it's going to ask you for your email and you can, you can get off the list anytime you want. It's not any, who, who cares? It'll allow you to ask a question and pick three cards. The three cards are set up to tell you what you've done in the past what you're presently doing, and what you need to do in the future to get through what you're going through. Samantha, I to this day don't know how it works. <laughs> it seems so random and it seems so obscure. But when I was at Hay House, I created these card decks that turned the whole company around. It took us, it, it, was, the, it was the foundation point from how we took people from, from our, the company from $3 million to $100 million a year in sales. Mm -hmm. It works. Go there ask a question, get another perspective. But I'm going to say to you something more. Once you see that that works, I want you to know you're never alone. But nothing works better than talking to somebody like Samantha, talking to someone like me, who will not let you dance. I think I said it, we have brilliant minds. We know exactly how to dance around the holes that we have to go, the places we have to go into and make ourselves believe we've gone into. You need somebody who's sharp enough, who's smart enough, who's loving enough, who you trust enough to say to you, I, I'm not going to put up with your dance right now. <laughs> like I want to know every story you have, but not right now. Now that story is keeping you from seeing what we're trying to look at. And I'm going to hold you accountable to get into this place and sit with it as painful as it is. I will still be here with you. I want you to know that space. I want you to know that emptiness. I want you to know that pain. I want you to know what that's trying to tell you when you get beyond that and you can just listen to yourself again. You are brilliant. You are glorious. You are magnificent. 
Why are you playing as a third or a fourth or a fifth or a tenth or half of yourself when your completeness would actually light up this world in ways you can never imagine? Your business will change exponentially when you do that. When you give yourself the space and the people in your business the space to know themselves and listen to themselves and then listen to each other, that's what changes the world. That's when Margaret Mead said, a small group of people will come together that will change the world forever. It's been the way it always has been. It's been the way it always will be. Be a part of that small group. Create that small group by first having the courage to find your own real voice and listen to it and invite somebody in if you have to. Invite someone in, give every cent you have to them. That's yeah. how important it is. There are people I know that worked with me that I said, I can't afford it. They said, sell your house then. That's how serious they were. Danny, it has been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today, to hear your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your brilliance with us. I very much appreciate you and I'm sure we'll be speaking again soon. I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Samantha, for having me on the show. Such angel. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for today's episode. But before we go, have you joined us in the Thought Leaders Business Lab community on Facebook? If not, jump over there right now and connect with other entrepreneurs who are also building and scaling their business. See you next time in the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Oh, 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 oh